Blog Talk Radio. Folks, welcome to a special edition of True Life Fridays. I'm sorry we just uh, experienced a bit of technical difficulties, but um, I am one of your hosts, uh, Melissa Palou, and I also have our other co-host, uh, Letitia Wong, on the lawn. Letitia, you, you around, girl? I'm here. Yay. Okay. Yeah, we just kind of um, just not – we didn't throw it together, but we – um have been talking over the past couple days about some recent events that everyone obviously is speaking and speaking about and have, have varied opinions about. Um, and we thought that it would be appropriate to discuss the issues going on um, with the Charlottesville, um, the uh, riot that happened there and things that are going on around the country right now around the issue of race. Um, as you all know, if you listen to our show on True Life Fridays, we um, focus on the issue of, um, of life. We're a pro-life um, ministry that deals um, with the tough issue of abortion, sanctity of life. But we delve into a, a number of different topics. And race is an issue that um, is, is, is embedded in the pro-life discussion um, as we discuss humanity, sanctity of life, and how um, the Lord created us all. Um, in his image and in his likeness and how there is no room for racism and how um, the sin of racism is perpetuated in many different ways um, amongst many different groups of people against one another. And so we want to talk about that today and the the huge divide going on in our country. Um, and, and if we think that that division is, is warranted or, or, or we, um, as, as Christians, are we really um, are we bonded to culture? Are we bonded to media hype? Or is this is this something that we should be um, dividing over and um, taking a, a particular stance on as it relates to the events that happened in Charlottesville and around the election? And again, we talk we've been talking about these issues for how many years have we been doing the show edition now? Oh, for a long time, many years. Um, yeah, at least so we, three to yeah. four years. And every yeah. so, so often yeah. the issue of race pops mm-hmm. up where we have to deal with it. And, the, and particularly what gets me hopped up is not how the media is dealing with it. Of course, we expect um, the secular world around us to deal with it in a certain way. Right. And, but what, what kind of makes me very sad and very agitated is when I see Christians trying to tackle the problem, but they're following the lead of the secular media. Yes. Yes. And there are no solutions to be found there. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been, uh, I mean, if anyone's on social media, I mean, which I think most people who follow us are, I mean, we we see what's going on, and the um, just the accusations, and it's just it, again, as you say, as as Christians who are representatives of Christ and uh, people who are to be seeking truth and to be um, people who who are peacemakers and who are who want who who desire is to unify people um, under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I've seen the exact opposite. Is is that what you're saying, Letitia? 
Well, I hear a lot of people proposing solutions that are not solutions. Um, right. I, don't, I expect people um, in the secular media and I expect people who are non-Christians to make solutions that aren't really getting at the heart of the issue. But I also see a lot of Christians who are saying, oh, yeah, that's the way to do it. This is how we want to perpetuate um, the, the, the so-called solutions, which I don't find very biblical. And I find absolutely mm-hmm. very contrary to Christ. And that's what upsets me about this whole issue is not when, when it happens, we have a flood of people giving their comments, and they're not proposing biblical solutions. And they're exactly. not proposing solutions that actually address the heart. And instead, mm-hmm. they're, they're zeroing in on politically correct answers and saying, yes, this mm. is what people need. So let me give you an example. Um, yeah. I have, everybody has liberal friends on Facebook that, mm-hmm. <clears throat> God bless them, want to help. And I'm not criticizing right. where their heart is. Mm-hmm. But um, one of the things that is said often is is how white guilt plays into racial discord so Mm. they're trying so so what i see very much happening is that a lot of my white christian friends and i hate saying it that way Mm. white christian friends but they are white yeah i know it's just and that's part of the problem are having to be drawn unfortunately when we discuss issues we have to make these distinctions between our brothers and sisters in christ and it's again from a secular perspective and not from what the lord is calling us to be as one people united in him. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But they are trawling out the guilt and saying the solution is to wear the white guilt, even though Mm -hmm. individuals are not guilty of anything. They have to wear the white guilt like a bis around their necks Mm -hmm. in order to, to appease Mm-hmm. Um, a community that they are really only guessing about, too, right. because apparently, you know, in the in the way that people talk about this in the narrative, white people don't understand the plight of of any minority in America because they've been mm-hmm. the evil white people that have perpetuated racism and and racial oppression and you know add on whatever a social sin that you would like on the end of that. So and mm-hmm. then they can't possibly understand what it's like. To have a shoe on, you know, to, to have a shoe on the other foot, but they're supposed to carry mm-hmm. around this white guilt for things that they can't understand. Right. And that's supposed right. to solve things. That's supposed to mm-hmm. tear down a so-called system. That's supposed to uh, appease. And right. only, you know, appeasement is not dependent on what you do. It's depending on the person who you're trying to appease to accept that. And right. as we have seen in many cases over the years, there is no appeasement to be sought. There's no appeasement to be gained. There's nothing mm-hmm. you can say. Nothing any white person can say, do, or be that will ever mm-hmm. make this problem better. Right, right. Yeah, and, and I mean, how biblical is it really, regardless of my background? And, and for those listening, we didn't even identify ourselves. I mean, I'm um, a black American. Um, I'm Really, I hate those um, those, uh, those descriptors. I'm an American, but I'm, I right. have more melanin in my skin. 
<laughs> than most than other people. And Leticia um, has an Asian background, um, so we both are are living as minorities in this country. But we have um, chosen through our biblical lens and through what we see and through reality and through taking many different factors um, into consideration that we reject this whole white privilege movement. And we again, we've done shows on this for several years, um, even when the big white privilege conference. Um, came about, and it was interesting back then because we were not talking about the church, Leticia, were we? We were talking about what was going on in secular liberal universities, and it has swept the right. church by storm. Oh, and I learned about it. I, we we did we get we started talking we about talk the churches. We did. Fun. We did. Yeah. And, we did actually, and several yep. prominent Christians that are that were approaching the racial discord from mm-hmm. a secular perspective, dressing it up as the Christian perspective that we all need to take and trying to convince whole swaths of impressionable young Christians that Mm -hmm. we have something that where we lack a racial sensitivity in the white church Mm -hmm. that has to be made up for. Now the whole proposition Mm -hmm. is, is there something to be made up for? Can we go back Mm -hmm. in time? Of course not. Of course not. They know that. But what is being mm-hmm. asked of people today is mm-hmm. to carry on a narrative that itself has not been questioned. It has been un mm-hmm. it has been uncritically adopted. That mm-hmm. it has not been. And yeah, I, I find been, this is the yeah. influence. Yeah, this is the influence of a whole lot of liberal education in in higher education mm-hmm. and the media. And really, activists, race baiting activists, who have Absolutely. told, who who painted this picture of America as the product of slavery and oppression and white supremacy. Okay, okay. If you mm-hmm. want to start with those premises, then that's where you're going to end up. Absolutely. However, right. history is not as simplistic as that. History is not. Uh, especially the history of America, history of the development mm-hmm. of any country. You can't, um, shall I say, whitewash it and and mm-hmm. label it so simplistically. There are people that won't ever understand the depths of the com- complex of nation building. They want to mm-hmm. reduce everything down to some to to one sentence. Right. And right. Yeah. It, it's as honest yeah, it's people, true. we can't do that. We can't just reduce everything down to a sentence. Right. It's, it's a very when you're when you're looking at sociology and society and social economics and all of these situations, um, there it's very like you said, very complex. And you can't boil it down to just one theory that aha, you know, it's not you know, it's not a mathematical equation <laughs> um, here that we're talking about. We're talking about real human beings. And out and real outcomes, and so um, the problem is with with the the conclusion that the white privilege exists. And let me just read for those who are not um, really familiar with the terminology of white privilege or what it represents. Um, white privilege is, or or it's also I'm looking at Wikipedia just so you guys know, but which isn't always reliable. But this is kind of the general definition that I've seen um, adopted among. Um, our society right now, um, white privilege or white skin privilege is a term for societal privileges that be- benefit people identified as white in Western countries. 
um, beyond what is commonly experienced by non-white people under the same social, political, or economic circumstances. Um, yeah. Um, and it, yeah, and it, it's tied in academia to, to critical race theory. Again, this is this is something that was started through, um, or it, it came, it flowed through um, liberal academia. Um, and Letitia uh-huh. and I both um, are are very involved in college ministry um, with our uh, with Ratio Christie, which is an apologetic ministry um, that is worldwide now. And we deal with issues of ideas, and we help students. Um, Christian students and non-Christian students to think through um, a lot of the um, the ideas and um, the theories and all of these things that are being thrown at them on a daily basis, to think critically, to know why you believe what you believe. Um, and the goal, um, we believe that Christianity is true, that Jesus is the, the only way to God and that he rose from the dead. And um, we believe that truth all leads there. Um, but we do deal with social issues as well because you do have to use your mind. You have to be a critical thinker um, to, to to really assess these um, different ideas that are being thrown around because it's okay for people to have ideas, you know, but you still have to, to think through them. Absolutely. And as a Christian, we have to, as a Christian, we have to think biblically and we have to, to um, we don't abandon uh, what God has, uh, has shown us and, and, and just the realities around us um, for the sake of uh, compromising or adopting to what we feel um, is our duty to the secular world. Yes. Um, we have been, I mean, ideas, ideas rule the world. They really do. They run the world. Mm-hmm. Everything that we do, every policy that we live under, every policy that we want to see made or have made in any system in the world is a result of ideas. And the ideas are a result right. of a worldview. And your worldview right. is based on your understanding and your uh your relationship with god right so right if we're trying to solve humanity's problems in some way shape or form contribute ideas and try to implement them we have to vet mm-hmm. them thoroughly to be to see if they're thoroughly if they're from if they're biblical and they're consistent with the christian worldview and so what I see Absolutely. the problem with critical race theory and white privilege theory mm-hmm. and all of this stuff about pitting one race against the other that, that is inconsistent with the Christian worldview is that yeah. people are fundamentally sinners. It doesn't matter what color you are. <laughs> and the mm-hmm. solution is not doing more of the same in order to right. backpedal and try to try to repay the sins by mm-hmm. uh, transferring the guilt to another generation. And that's what's happening here. Um, mm-hmm. What? And so what's wrong with that? People are going to want to ask. What's wrong with that? Mm-hmm. What's wrong with that is that fundamentally Christ did not come to save and to redeem us to give payback. <laughs> and that's a good point. <laughs> vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Mm. And this is not. And so they're going to say, "Oh, well, this isn't vengeance." Well, is it? Isn't it? Take mm. a look exactly about what is being said. If if with the simple phrase, white people need to check their privilege. Right. What does that really mean? What does or, that or, really or, mean? Or, or, or you 
or they or they're obligated to use their privilege to um you know to accommodate someone who doesn't have that as well right and and there's the whole question does somebody have more privilege than the other in that regard right. but you know, we'll get right. to that but first let's deal with you know does it, does somebody have a certain amount of privilege well you know i i don't really see that classes especially in america mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. have the kind of privilege that people are saying that others do so we're mm-hmm. looking so let's just look at let's look at some cold hard facts Let's look at college admission. Um, mm-hmm. If white privilege were prevailing in this country, then um, there would be scores of scholarships, there would be more scholarships and more availability for college entrance to white students. Let's, let's make it really specific, white male mm-hmm. students, than mm-hmm. other ethnic groups. Well, you put all the scholarships and, and help available for a person who is financially disadvantaged uh, to go to college. Mm-hmm. It turns out that the white male is the most disadvantaged person uh, when it comes to finding help to go to college and college admissions because schools today mm-hmm. don't uh, – they, they do. They play the politically correct game. White male students are one of the last – categories of people that they admit to school. They first will fill their quotas for mm-hmm. however many black students, Hispanic students, other minority students uh, before they fill, before they offer admission to white male students. Why? Because in the white privilege theory, white male students have been overrepresented in higher education. Right. What's the solution mm-hmm. to that? You need to reduce the number of white male students admitted to college. Make, How make do you do that? Sense, right? <laughs> How do you do that? You stop admitting people. You stop admitting right. white male students based on their um, their resumes, based on their merits. And right. it's gotten to the point where if you flout the narrative as as Asian students have done, they get politically uh, correct, politically correct treatment as well, which is mm-hmm. very disadvantaging to the Asian students. So, um, you know, I've been following this information for quite a while, and for it, it's almost been a ten-year practice that people have mm-hmm. been tracking this, where Asian students now are at a disadvantage because there are so many Asian students that they beat the quotas. You know, there's more than this, the college will technically allow admission to that are highly qualified to attend school, but they are getting rejected mm-hmm. because of their because of their race, because they're Asians. They're getting rejected mm-hmm. even though they have SAT scores that are near perfect, they have good grades, they have a lot of extracurricular activities, they have a lot of things that are going for them that would make them good college students. However, because there isn't so room for them, mm-hmm. they have to they have to be saddled with uh, at least as far as far far as Harvard is concerned, a 450 point SAT advantage disadvantage, a handicap. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, a handicap, 
which means, and, you know, people are asking you, what does that mean? That means that a particularly, they talk, talk about black students. Black students um, get admitted while Asian students have to score 450 points higher on their SATs to get mm. the same admission. Mm. So it is a 450-point disadvantage. And mm. this is actually a case that's going to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court will, I don't know, inevitably hear about how these college admissions practices are unfairly discriminating against Asian Americans. But this is this is the domino. This is the, the, the next domino to fall um, in the history of how to tackle race problems in America. So trying to artificially raise up people um, by disadvantaging others is has been a practice that's favored by liberals because it's what is it? It's payback. It is payback. Since there have been so many white students overrepresented in their estimation, then the solution is to decrease the number of white students. Mm. That's called yeah, and, that's called social justice. <laughs> yeah, and that yeah, that is the cry of social justice. Um, this idea of equality, which isn't is does not line up with reality, and which does not line up with scripture either. How, how is no. it biblical for me as a as a person who um, who honors God's word, who knows that God shows no partiality? How how is it um, okay? for me to approve of practices that disadvantage someone solely based on their race. Even though they're qualified, you know, it, 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 we're going backwards. We're not moving forward. Right. We're, and this we're, is, this is one example. Mm-hmm. That's just one, one of many examples, right? Right. So let's bring this into the church, <laughs> which is where um, that gets a little, that gets me a little hot under the collar because now we're involving people that are are supposedly think they're operating under the Christian worldview. But if you take a close look, it really isn't. They really aren't because look at what's happening. At, and I've heard this more than one time. Christians also playing that white people in general. I don't even know. I don't even know that that makes any sense. White people, white people where? Mm. White people who? Yeah. White people what, yeah. what age? What? <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, the term itself is so vague. It's just like, it's just pointing the picture, or pointing the finger at, at a person. Oh, you're white. You know, we don't know anything about the person or the background. Yeah, or devoid of the facts. Devoid of the facts. And so, so let's, let's take this down to the church level because the same thing can be leveled against, quote unquote, the white church. So mm-hmm. we've had. Um, people that we've talked about before, namely Anthony Bradley, Tim Keller, and to a certain we degree, people like, um, people like even beloved people like John Piper. John Piper, some of the folks of the gospel, and, and I don't made a mess of these race relations, unfortunately, in the church. Right. Well, you know what? I don't have. I have I have tons of good things to say about these three men. However, Absolutely. when we're talking about racial issues, I think they've stepped off the wrong foot and embraced a belief system that is inconsistent with the Christian worldview. And not only is it inconsistent with the Christian worldview, it is counterproductive and counteractive to the Christian worldview. 
because it right. says that so let's deal with something specific, a claim that white people and, have and this, to own up to a system. Right. And, for, they and perpetuate. For listeners, yeah, and for our listeners, Latisha and I respect John Piper, we respect Tim Keller. We oh, absolutely. You know, the gospel coalition. All of these, these men, they are men of God who love the Lord. They have uh, they have taught and, and led many people to the Lord, and, and we believe they are true, dedicated believers of Jesus. But when it comes to the issue of race, we we absolutely think that they have um, that they've made a misstep when it when they deal with this specific issue. So just, I just want people to know that so that they don't you know we don't get any hate mail from that perspective. No, no we we totally respect all of these men as being so have great hearts for the Lord. And absolutely, and I've learned so much from them biblically. It's amazing and theologically. Right, right. So. So what we so what I'm I'm I want to deal with is not specifically what they've said, but what people like them have also joined with them, saying that there is a certain amount of there's a certain amount of leeway. Let's just say this a certain amount of leeway that white people have to provide for in the in the white church toward the black church or and, and I don't really like to say it as black and white. It's always black and white. Well where are the Asians yeah. in them? Where are the Asian Yeah, we hate using those terms for the purpose of the conversation to make the distinctions. Unfortunately we have to kind of, you know, go there to, to make those distinctions of you know how people are talking in the culture. Right. You know, so. Right. Yeah. Right. And and it, it is just the laying on of so what they're proposing is that there is something that that the white church has to make up for. The white church has to make mm-hmm. up for the sins of the past white church. Uh, the present-day mm-hmm. white church has to uh, spiritually, what is the word, spiritually, um, uh, um, recon, not just I'm, reconcile, but to I'm, pay back. I'm, yeah, yeah. To... to the word just escaped me. <laughs> I am I sorry, know. ladies and gentlemen. It'll come to me. It'll come to me. Well, we're doing the show later but than normal, so that you haven't. They want to make we. There's something to make up for, and that is the mm-hmm. poor treatment, the racism, and uh, the exclusion. Maybe but what are the, what are those things? Maybe? It's res- yeah, yeah, spiritual retribution. retribution. You're right. Mm-hmm. You're right. That's what it is, and. Listen, I am all for showing love to every member of Christ's church mm-hmm. and to the fullest of of what a human being um, should be honored with as a creation of God, as an individual, as a member of Christ's body, as a created and loved being by God whom Jesus died for. I wouldn't want to be treated any differently than with the full love of the, of the family of God. And I don't mm-hmm. deny anybody that. However, mm-hmm. when we're talking about the white members of God's family have to retri- make retribution to the black members of God's family over things that neither of them have experienced, then we have a problem. And did I get lost? Oh, sorry, sorry, Letitia. 
you know, I was having some technical difficulties, but um, and I was just popping away, I was gabbing and everything. But um, I was I shared with you before and some of our listeners how um, I had attended an, a, a conference, a, tr- a conference at a church here locally in Charlotte, and um, I, you know, I had um, I was actually um, volunteering and helping, and you know, after one of the sessions, one a lady just walked up to me, an older lady, and she just had tears in her eyes and. Um, she comes up to me and says, um, I'm so, so sorry. And I said, for what? I'm thinking, I've, I don't know who you are. What are you talking to me for? And, you know, she's, she's an older lady who's white. She's like, I'm so sorry for how my people treated your people and for how, um, you know, you know, so she goes down that line and I'm, I'm, I'm like, ma'am, you don't have to, you've not done anything to me. I'm just happy that you're here at the conference, you know? Praise the Lord, we're sisters in Christ. That's, you know, I don't want you to to, to wear that um, on your sleeve because that's unnecessary. We're free in Christ. And you did nothing to do to hurt me in any way. Um, My destiny is in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ, as is yours. And there's no apologizing for that. Um, And so it um, it was interesting to have that experience that someone actually felt to the point of tears, compassion for me, as a black person, um, because of her perceived, because of her perception of what I have experienced, not knowing me, but just because of the color of my skin. And I hear that a lot, and I see that a lot, because, and it's sad, because when we start to look at each other and evaluate each other's life experiences and who they are and how they feel right. and how they think and how they, and how they vote and what they, you know, the things that they like and the music that they like and where they go, you know, it based solely on what they look like and their skin color, it's a really sad day in our country. And it's a really sad day in the church when those yeah. are these perceptions. And I don't well, want another person to look at me first as a black person. Like, I, I, I don't think, when I wake up, I don't look at my black skin and, you know, I just, I, I'm me, you know, I'm more than my skin. And that's, that's what right. the church but how does it feel? How does it feel when somebody walks up to you, and even though they're saying nice things, apologizing for something, and and that's I guess that's better than hostility. But still, are you? How does it feel to be judged on the basis of your skin? She walked up to you. A person walked up to you because of your skin color, not because she wanted to get to know you, but because no. she had something on her mind to say and you became the fitting target that she was right. going to say to me but because mm-hmm. you had black skin then then the statement comes out right yeah it, it makes it, it makes me feel inferior as a human being when we are talking about issues about race which is a merely a social construct anyway in the minds of humans we're right. a human being we all are when we talk about these divisions and you identify a person, and, and um, you have these conceptions of a person based on their skin color. It is, it's, it's, it's demeaning that human being, it, you know, and it, it's not a good thing. And this whole idea of, you know, using your privilege to help a black person because you have privilege and they don't, so you need to do something for them. I mean, that's so anti-biblical, you know, because we are, again, we're one in Christ. Our destiny is in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has given each man his own destiny and plot, and 
that is so, it's just, it's humiliating to think that I need you to help me get to where I can go because without you, I'm not going to get where I have to go. No, I'm going to go where, I'm going to walk in the steps that God has ordered for me regardless, you know, and it's really, it's very demeaning and it's very condescending and people are, I understand the heart and in a sense the motive, Um, but when you um, do actions out of guilt, out of a heart of guilt, that is not of God. That is not no, the Lord. That is not definitely not of God to do. That is the wrong motive. It, it's just God does, does not is not going to weigh those actions um, in a in a hefty in a hefty way and, and reward you for that. That is a worldly perception. That is is satanic in my mind. And this, it does come from, it comes straight, straight from the world who has no solutions. Because what is the bottom line question that is being asked? You know, what is, I had a conversation, um, I'll tell you about it in a second, but I had a conversation, and the, the bottom line is who is going to heal my hurt? Who is going right. to make up for, um, for the state, you know, the state that I live in and the prejudices that I, feel that are that are come upon me who who who's going to make up for all that who's going to to solve this stuff that we have i'm sorry do we not go to church who died (laughs) for those sins tell me right Right. if you do not lay this stuff down at the feet of jesus on the cross why are you still carrying them around wanting to force them on your Christian brother or sister. Right, right. It's looking, again, it's looking to man and not to God. For this, you, in the beginning, you brought it up. It, it's not about trusting in the Lord. It's about trusting in your own uh, ability to, to correct the wrongs that are going on in society, which you, which you perceive are wrongs that haven't even, you know, some of the, some of the questionable that you you know, some of these conclusions, but it's trust, it, even if the conclusions are true, you're still trusting in your own ability. And that's not what right. God calls us to do. But that we're asking people to pay for the sins of other people. Story is, so the story is, and, and you and I will both agree, along with everybody else, that this is a, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a very bad example. So I'll give you a story that was passed on to me by a dear lady that, that I work with in ministry over this past summer. Uh, This past summer, now everybody knows that I live in St. Louis, Missouri, home of Ferguson, Missouri. Let's just make that clear. You know, know, I was thinking about this. We both have lived in cities where there have been race riots because Ferguson was kind of, you know, the the start of a lot of, um, or the um, original place of the the major bonds that we've seen as as of late. But, um, and then Charlotte, we had, riots last year after a police shooting right um yeah so we both have kind of been in the eye of that storm unfortunately right and so so here's a story that that i would say yes we need to say something um definitely something needs to be done but you know what is it but here it is uh this dear lady who is a black black woman with her black family and she's there's dear christians they had attended a church for one Sunday that was mostly a white congregation and her son um, or not, I guess it wasn't her. Yes, it was her son um, 
had somehow, she quotes in air quotes, won a prize. And the other kids and the Sunday school teacher, I suppose, I'm, I may not be getting all the details right, but this is how it happened, uh, decided mm-hmm. to make her son the winner of a prize. They thought it might have been a joke. Uh, everybody else thought it was ha- uh, was funny. They do this to each other. Other kids do this to each other. They did was in, in children's time or whatever, Sunday school time, he thought he won a prize, so he came to the front of the church, and an adult proceeded to put handcuffs on him. And everybody thought it was kind of funny. And you can you can see my jaw drop to the floor <laughs> because mm-hmm. this is in context of where our culture is and that is anything but funny. And the mother didn't think it was funny. The child didn't think it was funny. And uh, it wasn't funny. Right. What happened after that is she was like, excuse me, this was totally unfunny. She got a very private apology from the past. Not even, I don't even know it was from the pastor. Very private apology with an emphasis on asking for her to forgive them and not to make a big deal out of it. Now, mm-hmm. me, this is nothing to be silent about. I would be the first one up you know, breaking all kinds of social rules to stand in front of the church and say, excuse me, you have wronged a family. You have done something terrible to embarrass Mm -hmm. them out of context. I mean, you do not put handcuffs on a little black child. (laughs) I'm sorry that that is, that is socially unacceptable. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it's an unfunny joke. It is not funny. It is a, a terrible um, hurtful thing to do, and you don't try yeah. to dismiss it in private. You don't try to make it, brush it under the rug, make it go away with a with a, a very private, so-called apology, and hoping that the mom will go away. So, you know, mm-hmm. terrible. You know, a, a pock on this church for having treat having done this, and she's well. This is the symptom of a larger problem. Maybe it is. But what problem is it? It is not a problem of we don't like black people and we're going to treat them with the kind of prejudice that, you know, we're prone to as white people. It is failure to love your neighbor as yourself and to understand mm-hmm. some jokes aren't funny. Right. It is not a failure of white people being white people. It is a failure of loving your neighbor as yourself and loving your brother as yourself. And Mm -hmm. I would say, yes, this church and its pastor needs to be admonished and chastised quite severely. But it is not a symptom of how white people control you, (laughs) non-white people. And that they need to step off so that the rest of us can enjoy the time in the sun. Those are very, I mean, that's a very different proposition. Doing something wrong and harming, uh, spiritually slighting your brother, your Christian brother, it's not the same thing as exercising white privilege. Oh, they exercise a whole lot of ignorance. But I Mm -hmm. wouldn't go so far as to saying white privilege. So, so that everybody is very clear, I think this church did something terribly wrong 
against the family. Right. And it needs to apologize publicly and profusely and never do something like that again. Mm-hmm. However, right. I don't think, therefore, um, you know, a generation from now, the grandchildren of those kids who played this so-called joke need to grovel in front of black brothers and sisters about what happened. Right. And put themselves in an inferior position. Uh, that is not equality in the sight of God. That is not that, how that, Jesus that, treated that's people. Not, yeah, that's not, a, that's not valor or that's not courageous. Or, you know, it doesn't promote anything no. that's good and virtue at all. No, and that is not. That is also not the kingdom of God. The kingdom no. of God nope. is where we all bow before Jesus, and we right. do not lay somebody's ideology before our own. We do not lay somebody's ideology uh, before Christ. Right. We do not you know, bow at that... the feet. Go ahead, Letitia. I was just going to say we don't um, make a priority of solving racial problems by heaping on more racial problems. Mhm. Right. You yeah, it's it's, this, it's funny cuz the the things that we're that we're talking about regarding how to respond to these issues in Charlottesville and Ferguson and and Sanford Florida and all these different issues that are, have gone on and it's it, like, wow, the Bible really has answers for how we deal with these issues, actually, you know? Yeah. And we don't have to conform <laughs> to, like, really, huh, that's the great, you know, for a Christian, great, you know, we have the truth. So why are we looking to worldly um, solutions and, and to, to just to melch in because we think that, that, that that's the right way and that it's all about our biblical worldview and that's – that's one of the things, like I said, I love that um, with our ministry is that we, we're trying to help people to think in terms of what Scripture says because Scripture is true and it has been shown to be true and it was authored by the God of creation who is over all and who is all-knowing. So we don't have to reinvent the wheel to come up with these um, man-made phenomenon solutions, temporal solutions, um, to, to solve the world's problems. Where has that gotten us? <laughs> It's gotten us to where we are today, where we are, and where we're fighting still about what to do going forward, you know. And so, it's really sad that, as you know, like you said, as Christians, that we don't understand that we have the answers, and we don't have to, um, we don't have to placate. Um, I know me, you, you and I had talked earlier about an article, and I wanted us to look at that if you wanted to, um, to um, go through that, Letitia. Um, Sure thing. From the uh, the uh, Reformed African American Network, and um, I have it here, and I have had some discussion about this with actually a number of people um, in the last couple of days. But Reformed African American Network is a, is a ministry that it's a wonderful ministry. It encourages. Um, it's made up of of different um, brothers in Christ who are pastors and who are um, all about biblical exposition of the scriptures and you know, holding true to scripture, and they do so much great work in terms of restoring, um, just to bring you back the art of biblical expository preaching in different circles um, in minority church, minority um, dominant churches. And so it's a wonderful ministry that I followed for years, and, and 
proudly have, has recommended. Um, again, as we talk about the issue of race, as like we did with some other ministry leaders who we who we really admire and respect, and who we have learned so much from and grown through their ministries. Um, they really have, um, you know, they've they've um, said some things and done some things and published some things uh, that have been uh, highly. Uh, highly divisive in my opinion. So the latest mm-hmm. article um, in response to the whole Charlottesville, uh, the events going on there, and I think we won't have to go through what happened in Charlottesville. I think most people have read for themselves or they've seen um, on the news what happened and the situation there, and hopefully everyone is informed um, about the truths of the events and, and not swayed. But this article that we're looking at and that we'll go through some of these points um provided that we have time, is 10 Everyday Ways Charlottesville and White Supremacy Are Allowed to Still Happen. Um, and this article is by uh, Jamar Tizzi, who is a, a very brilliant theologian. And, um, again, he's with the RAIN Network, R-A-A-N um, Network. And he is um, he's written on issues of race relations in the past. So this was directly in, um, after the Charlottesville event. So in the article, what he's basically laying out, and I'll put this on the Theology Matters, uh, or um, on the, excuse me, on the uh, True Life Friday's uh, website page. I'm getting the two different shows on the network mixed up here because I participate in both. But I'll put that on the True Life Friday's um, page so that you can read the article for yourself. It's a very brief article, um, and he he's going through the Charlottesville events and basically laying out the, the issue with white supremacists and he blamed basically the foot of the responsibility of the rise of what he perceives as a rise. Um, that still mm-hmm. has not been verified or, or found to be true. Um, but people just assume that there's a rise um, in terms of, you know, the movement itself. And he, he lays the foot of that movement at the white evangelical church's door as their responsibility because they have allowed this movement to happen and to grow. And so we'll go through some of these. I know. It's great when you have a biblical view and you understand that what sin really what, what, is and how it corrupts a person. It makes it right. a huge difference. Let's park there. Yeah. yeah, let's park there for a second and, and talk yeah. about how white Christians, white evangelical Christians have allowed white have allowed. to have grow. Allowed. Again, that word allowed. I mean, Huh? Right. How, now, how now for, forgive yeah, me for ahead. being forgetful, but aren't Christians not allowed to make policy in America anymore? Because I think so. we're not we're supposed to stick our morals, you know, keep our morals private, keep our religion private, and we're not supposed to be shoving them down the throats of others as far as policy goes. Um, so you know when we head to when we we talk about political issues, our our religion is supposed to be covered up. We're supposed to keep that stuff private. We're not supposed to do anything, right. aren't we? Right. Well, how in the world right. are we supposed to uh, have we allowed something to happen when we are not allowed to do anything with regards to policy in America? I mean, that's the setup. Just, just yeah, it, it's our again. So from yeah, just from that, 
you already understand the slant that we're going <laughs> with the article, and and just already starting from a flawed foundation, which isn't um, it doesn't line up with reality as we have had spoke about before. Um, so let's look at the article a little in depth here and go through some of these points. And I think you have it up too, Letitia. Um, let's see here. I am. Okay. So the first point he says, and, and why he lays out why 10, or 10 everyday ways Charlottesville and white supremacy are allowed to still happen. Number one, elect a president who plays on racial, nationalistic, xenophobic tropes to inflame a base that feels like they are being replaced by immigrants and minorities. A man who the KKK and white nationalist organization or white nationalist groups wants to endorse allows that president to systematically assemble a cabinet of people, again, that word allow, right? Allow said president to yeah. systematically assemble a cabinet of people who endorse his bigotry and can enact in, enacted in word and deed. Meanwhile, ignore the vigorous warnings of the marginalized people the leadership will most adversely affect. And just so you guys know, in this, this podcast, we are not going to defend Donald President Trump, we respect him, and we know the office of the presidency. We respect it because the scripture tells us to respect the presidency. We respect President Obama, even though we we you know vocally disagree with many of his policies. But this is not about President Trump. This is about the biblical worldview and how we're thinking critically through logic, and if we're being consistent with scripture and with just reality and, and those sort of things. So we're gonna we'll start there. Um, about well, yeah, I mean, this, this whole uh, idea of electing a president, even Leticia, for me, didn't it seem like this was a total point about guilt of association? Exactly. Um, associating exactly. the KKK with policy, associating people who voted with certain things that may not be the, you know, these clear lines that, that the article is pointing to. Well. Look. Yeah, and let let's look at what happened in 2008 when President Obama was elected, and a lot mm-hmm. of the things that people had said were socially going to happen did also happen. So we had a president uh, under President Obama who consistently denigrated the police in the country. He he kind of fomented and would not condemn racial violence. Um, from his perspective, mm-hmm. do we did we say that he caused all this? No. no did we no, say that his did. presidency is was uh, inflaming people? No. We didn't say right. that. Nobody, nobody in their right mind would lay right. that at his feet. In fact, we had an entire secular media that would defend him whenever somebody ever made that suggestion. No, you can't right. tie somebody's actions to the fact that so-and-so is a president. Well, you know what? Now that the shoe is on the other foot, we have a president who people want to give a reputation of being racist, nationalistic, xenophobic, or whatever you want to say. Uh, you know right. what? That, that I think it's a xenoph- the same racist, rule racist, applies. Xenophobic, yeah. And nationalist, so, yeah. To, and, and I'm not defending him in any way because I didn't, I didn't, you know, he wasn't my first choice for president. Let me tell you, but right, right. I, I don't, but I, you know, fair is fair and unfair is unfair. I would not lay this at his feet because he is not the source right. of what is happening. 
Right. And he himself, I'm not defending him, but he himself has never said and never endorsed a point of view that I would remotely consider racist. Right. So why would... I think people are operating on a stereotype. Again, judging. Right. Well, the thing is, I guess you can interpret some things that he said as racist. And that's, you know, each individual can interpret things the way that they want it to interpret, you know. But if there's there's nothing, I I mean, he could be a racist. I don't know, though. I can, I mean, there's statements and there's things that he said that I could interpret that way. But there's, I could also not interpret them that way, you know. Yeah. And so. Yeah. You know, it's 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 an issue of it's a subjective um, perception here issue, and so again, I, I just think as people who are blood bought sinners of Christ or blood bought sinners who who Christ has died for, I just I think we need to we need to give grace, and we need to you know on things like that, we need to just think through the issues and what what's being said and stick to that, and we can interpret it you know however we'd like to interpret it, but we can't lay that. We can't make adamant claims about how a person believes um, based on certain things, you know, sound bites that we've heard. Because, you know what, I've said some stuff that's stupid in my past, and I make today mm-hmm. on the radio as well. And so if you take as, that. As, as anybody would. Right. As, as anybody okay. would. And so, you know, it all amounts to nothing. It all amounts, I mean, if everybody makes the same mistake. It's speculation. And everybody. <laughs> is what it exactly. is. And scripture talks about that, yeah. And we, again, are we judging? Are we judging unfairly? I think we are. If we're trying to lay uh, the, the the landscape of what people do uh, at his feet, at the president's feet, when he mm-hmm. has really nothing to do with it, then I think that we're unfairly yeah. judging somebody. Mm-hmm. Right. The scriptures are very, very clear that sin is in the heart of the, of the individual. We're separated from God. Because of our sin, and it's a willful act. We're born into sin. It's a willful act, however, and so right. to make it about one one person, are you kidding me? We're, please try to reconcile that with me with your biblical worldview. Because right, well, you know, personally, I know point. that I sin and horrible. I, I sin horribly every single day, but I don't blame. There's not. It's not a person who incited me to sin. It's my own heart, my wicked, wicked heart that caused me to do what I do or to say what I said. Right, right. And we have to we have to place blame where it belongs. And mm-hmm. if we just take this first point, and it's his elected president who plays on blah, 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 and has right. a cabinet with blah, blah, blah. You know, if we replaced all the names with President Obama and the people in his cabinet, it would read the same. But and right. it would be extremely clear that this is being extremely unfair to our president. You know, not my favorite right. person in the world. But I'm mm-hmm. not going to, just because I don't like the way he does X, Y, or Z, uh, blame him for things that I don't think he's responsible for. Right. That is, that, I mean, in my opinion, that's simple. You know, to, to do that, it's, um, it, it, it's putting, again, the blame of individuals' hearts and their motives against a person. And, I don't, right. again, I did not support President Obama's policies. But any person who who did anything that he 
um, was uh, in agreement with, that's their own fault. That's not Obama's fault. <laughs> right. You know, right. Um, and we saw lots of criticism. I saw lots of unfair criticism of President Obama. Lots of right. very unfair. It, it, I know. And, very, I, I hated that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, but, you know, being president is just par for the course. So, number one here, to me, is not very meaningful. It doesn't say, it's just a it's complaint not. without any substance. Um, thing he says here is ignore the vigorous warnings of the marginalized yeah. people. His leadership will most, like, most adversely affect. I don't see any, I don't, warnings about what? Well, very vague. Well, that's the problem with the whole article is people are like, I've seen it reposted several times. It's a vague, weak argument. The article, the article is just, you can tell it's driven off of much emotion, which he personally right. has. But it, it, he doesn't yes. define anything. It's everything left up to the reader to read into what he's saying because he doesn't say certain things. And that, right. that and is has that's Christian, a, a poor, Right. As Christians, we are supposed to be better than this. We are supposed we to are. be we able be to evaluate things me. with the kingdom mindset, part, not partly in to be effective objectively. Part of being right. a kingdom-minded person is to look at things objectively with the impartiality that we're trying to, to inherit from Christ's character by being more right. like him. And not looking right. at them with our own prejudices and our own baggage and right. our own feelings. And, you know, this, it, even in here in the point, he says, um, allow said president, which he should have said President Trump. I don't know why he said said president. Um, <laughs> to systematically assemble cabinet people who endorse his bigotry. You know, I just, you know, to me, it's how do we, we don't, we're not involved in, in those decisions about cabinets and, you know, and that kind of thing. Um it's like I said, it's very subjective about how, I mean, it's misleading, it's objective. Yeah. Or, or so it's, our, it's subjective. my fault. So it's my fault. It's my well, fault he has a tabernacle. Letitia, our voting system is a two-party system. That's how it's set up. And I understand That's that right. there's third-party, you know, um, people who run, and they have the right to run, and they do run. But it's a two-party system. We have certain choices and we have to make choices it doesn't mean that you endorse everything that the person who you put the check mark by hopes to and this this idea, right did we just did we just come with the party system like in 2016 or something like that like well people don't get this or, you know I don't, I don't understand it you know what and let me make a bargain with people who are complaining about this you know donald trump is a first and foremost businessman i'm sure if you if anybody who's complaining wanted badly enough could strike a deal to become a member of the cabinet. Okay, so boo on you for being too lazy to pursue that. <laughs> it's not. I, know. I mean, if you want to, if you want to bark up that tree, go ahead, step out out of your out from behind your computer screen and do something about it. If you okay. want to be part of the system and make a change, please do it. Be, run for office. For goodness' sake, run for system. office. Do that. Right. So the second and, point, you know, Letitia, um, that he lays out for why Trump is, or why the article again was, why 10, ten everyday ways Charlottesville and 
in Charlottesville, meaning the shooting or the running over of a woman who died and all the riots that happened there and white supremacy are allowed to still happen, okay? Again, right. made at the foot of the church. Number two. Number two says, never treat racism as an actual sin in the church. It's just a social issue and shouldn't be discussed in the pulpit or the pews. Therefore, Christians are never discipled in how to think about race in a biblical way, much less oppose it. And when my, it's funny, when my husband well, read this, you know, he's like, he said, is he talking about abortion here? <laughs> he was like, I'm pretty sure he's talking about abortion, not racism, right? <laughs> because I can't yes. count the number of sermons that I've heard about God not being um, a respecter of persons and he shows no partiality. I, I can't count the number of times that I've heard these messages and that it's been ingrained in me in, in my years in, in the church. And I'm, I'm just like, what church do you go to, you know, or, or what That's you... a great question. Right. I, you know, mm-hmm. I, sometimes I do wonder when we generalize about things like, oh, never treat racism as an actual sin in the church. I've heard about more about racism than, yes, oh, than I've goodness. ever heard about abortion. That, oh, good. I can count on my hand. On one hand, how many times, maybe le- less than one hand, how many times I've heard in the church about abortion. And, you know, it's, and I've been in church for, um, I got saved in 2000. So we're talking about 17 years here. And racism, I, I know, you know, biblically that racism is wrong because I've heard it, you know, talked about in terms of equality and, and no partiality um, in God's right. eyes and we're how, how we're all created in his image. But we talk about God's image, but with abortion and, and, and the unborn uh, child, we, we don't apply that same, um, but not, you know, that same passion to the unborn child. But it's interesting that he comes to that conclusion. And I, again, this article is just is so annoying because of the fact that he's so general. And I just, I don't know what churches that he's been in. Well, I think, I don't know that it's actual churches. Maybe he has been, uh, yeah, okay, this is what I see when, this is what I hear when I see an accusation like this. It's like me when I'm emotionally upset about something, and I tell Conway, you never do X, Y, and Z. <laughs> I do that to Devin, too. He, he'll, he'll tell you. Yeah, I, did, I think I did it earlier. <laughs> <laughs> and to me, this is just an emotional outburst of frustration. Right. And you know what? Because I sympathize mad, with right. that frustration. But, you know, you don't right. go mad with it. And you don't go right. and and put it down as point number two and make it a fact. <laughs> like, I don't lay out a whole point. Like, I can't because I'm, I know I'm lying if I do that because I know that he does help me some, you know, but I can't say he <laughs> never helps me kind of thing. You know, and after he wrote this, it was August the 12th, so it was everything was very raw. And this is one of the things I with Christian blogs, I just uh, – sometimes I wish they would go away because of this because they – you know, as soon as something happens, everyone thinks that they have to come up with a response, you know, to represent the church. And there's so many different responses. And um, could it be that we're just, we're, we're not waiting and evaluating everything and taking it into consideration and praying about what we're talking about? Or is it we already have things in our heart that we're harboring that we just want to get out for any particular reason? And we're going to use any situation that comes up that's advantageous to what I'm already mad about 
which is what I do with my yeah. husband, and I, I'll admit that. <laughs> I'm already, you, know, you, have, you know, you have pent-up things, frustration, and so, you know, any little thing, you're just going to be like, you know, kind of thing, and I'm going to attack the whole white church kind of kind of thing. So, I, it, yeah. when I read this, I, I, I feel that in the article, and it's because it's so unclear, and it's so, um, it's so generalized, like you said. Like, it's not directed mm-hmm. out. Any, he doesn't lay out any particular thing that he's seen or done or anything of that nature. And he could he could have experienced certain things, but at the time, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the whole compass of what's going on or everyone's experience. Right, right. You know, like, I, like again, mm-hmm. I sympathize with the hurt, and I sympathize with the pain and the frustration. Uh, but yeah. at, at, at the same time, it's not it's not okay. To go accusing mm-hmm. people of something that they haven't done. Right. And it's not okay to say never treat racism as an actual sin in the church when actually people do. Um, right. So, you know, that's that's nothing. Number three says fight yeah, tooth and three. nail. Yeah. Fight tooth and nail to <laughs> preserve Confederate monuments and flags. Venerate Confederate people and events. The cultural artifacts that cultural celebrate art. white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't I don't even know how to give credence to this because this is a list of ten ways people allow white supremacy to reign in America. I don't think anyone in America at large fights tooth and nail to preserve Confederate monuments and flags. What is all this or when I'm saying, and I'm we like, don't venerate them. Who is he talking to? Who is he talking about? He, he raised at the feet of white evangelical Christians, and somehow they bought, they're like, oh, yeah, we do do this or something. Even though I, all the white evangelicals that I know don't do any of this that he's talking about. But, yeah, okay. Right, right. <laughs> I, I think, I think yeah. let's have an academic debate on the merits of keeping Confederate flags and monuments you know, out in public view. I think we can can have that academic discussion. Um, I -hmm. think if we're going to have an emotional reaction where if I Mm -hmm. say let's have an academic discussion and the emotional person comes back at me and and accuses me of not automatically agreeing with everything he says, Mm -hmm. then I think there is a conflict. But it's not a rational conflict. So right. if I if anyone is fighting tooth and nail to preserve Confederate mo- monuments and flags, it is not America at large. It is uh, it is those right. people that bothered to get up in the middle of the night or whenever uh, with torches and and placards to stand mm-hmm. in front of the monument uh, mm-hmm. out in Charlottesville. Then yeah. uh, then you then please have a discussion with, yeah, with that, why they want to keep it. Well, the thing too, I was thinking when he says this about this white this connection between white supremacy and fighting for these monuments and flags, I'm just thinking, hey, I don't know those people who are fighting for that. I don't know their heart. I don't. I can't know their hearts because I'm not God. How do you automatically connect that to the, that uh, to white supremacy? You know, right? I mean, we can right. we can speculate that maybe that's their motive, but it may not be their motive. And for you to speculate about their motive and you not being God and don't know their heart, 
And that's on you to judge, to, to label for God and to ask him to, to you know, show you. But it, it doesn't miss, it, there's not a direct connect between that, between the, the monuments and white supremacy in terms of the person's motives and heart. Exactly. There's, my, my mom attended college in the South, in Mississippi, and that was back mm-hmm. in the 50s. And, you know, that's when cultural, culturally the attitude of white people about blacks was a lot more prominent. And mm-hmm. she never, she never, um, she never told me, I mean, she would have because, you know, we're, we observe things like this. It's pretty, mm-hmm. pretty, it's pretty stark when, when someone can say something about it. And she said, you know, the people were in Mississippi in the 1950s. It was a small town, rural Mississippi that she went to college. She said the people were genuinely very nice and genuinely very God-fearing. And they had attitudes that were not informed by, with, with thought. Now she was never right. treated with the same prejudice she that that people in the 1950s treated black people. But right. people live in their people live in their compartments, mm-hmm. and they are able to relate to people that kind of out, live outside those compartments much differently. Now, if you have no one that tr- that challenges to say whatever your attitude is toward black people. Mm-hmm. That was never challenged. You don't know that there is something wrong. You don't know mm-hmm. that your motives are informed by a, a line of thinking that may not be, you know, biblical. You don't know that. Right. So, but you don't right. tell people that they worship their own thoughts, and that's mm-hmm. transferred to the Confederate monuments that exist throughout the South. Right. So there are plenty yeah, it, of reasons it, it, people. It's physical, yeah. It's not biblical in terms of. Yeah, it's a physical monument, and it we cannot judge heart. Again, we're still. Right. The whole article is he's very much. Um, he's he's assessing motive, and we we are not that we're not. Scripture tells us not to do that. We don't. We we can't do that. We can listen. The, the the point of the gospel is that what we do is we meet the person where they are. You know whether they're racist, whether they're right. You know pornography, whether they're a murderer, whether they are wh- whatever they are, we meet the person where they are in their sin. Okay. Right. But now, I don't know the question. The question that I had, haven't seen anybody ask is of someone who is trying to defend not defend the monument from being removed is what does this monument mean to you? Why do you no care one about this? Have not that, discussion. Nobody's asked that question. Assume motive because, and everyone, they claim to be compassionate because they're fighting for it to be torn down, but there's no discussion about why. Why is it passionate to you? Maybe if we have that discussion with people, maybe we can have like some solidarity. Maybe we can come right. to a better understanding and not not protest and knocking you know in Durham, North Carolina, knocking stuff over and, and you know denigrating public property. Discussions are really important. I've learned that, and I, I, sometimes I under I don't understand because our husband and I do so much ministry on a very liberal campus, and we we have great relationships with people who we 
completely disagree with on everything. <laughs> and it's okay to do that and to have disagreements and to voice those disagreements. But at least, you know, the motives are clear that they know that we actually do love them. And this is why we're standing for this um, particular position. And I think that's the, the great thing about apologetics ministry is that you can do that. You go back to why you're, why you believe what you believe. And right. it's not necessarily about and that's, religion. And that's right. a great question you raise. Where is the love? Because the person defending the monument <clears throat> from getting removed is a person that, that needs to be loved as well. Where is the love for that person? Um, so I think either my line got dropped or Melissa's line got dropped. So we're going to oh, I'm finish here. number three. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm here. Go ahead. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. It, um, it says, do all this while refusing to acknowledge how the preservation of such symbols perpetuate a racial caste system and a longing among some citizens for the days when America was, quote, unquote, great. Um, and in parentheses, i.e., when women, coloreds, and the rest knew their place, and white men were more dominant. I don't know that standing in front of a statue packs all of that meaning to it. Right. <laughs> I mean, suddenly, suddenly someone standing in front of a statue means women knew their place, colored knew their place. I'm, I'm sorry. That is really going overboard. Right. Yeah. How do we know those, those um, again, it's all generalizations about what we perceive as um, the truth of those things. And it, how do you have, as, again, as Christians and truth seekers, how do we look, how do we interpret these things that we're reading? And that's again that's the problem I think with many blogs is that you can put anything in print, but where is the foundation of those things that you're laying out there? And as Christians, we are called to be people of truth and to have research issues well. And it's just this article just leaves so many open-ended questions. Right? Who, who are you? Who exactly are you talking about or referring to? Um, yeah. The person who like, is a serious in what you're yeah. Oh, go ahead and finish. No, you go ahead. Well, I was going to say, no, that doesn't, this is nothing more a greater example of this than number four. Yes, let's go there. And number four says, I'll, I'll, I'll read show, it. I'll, oh, go ahead and show yeah, Go ahead and read it. Uh, yes, yeah, show private support for people of color but never risk anything by publicly proclaiming solidarity with the marginalized and letting the racists around you know that you won't tolerate their trash, have the backs of minorities with long um, little dot, dot, dots way back. That to me is, has no merit whatsoever. And I'm being nice. Yeah. <laughs> It sounds good. How how much more vague and generalized can you be? Show private support for Ooh, people of color, hey. color, but never risk that, anything I'm publicly. Definitely. I can't stand. I mean, short articles like this that deal with complex issues about race. It, 
Yeah, and to do that and to leave people hanging on the edge of the seat, they don't even know. They're probably reading this and being like, oh, yeah, that's me. But they don't even know what the context even is. Because it could have right. been a personal I, I situation. There isn't a, yeah, there is, there is a context, I think. He's hinting at a context. There has to be a context. But there's it, no context to number four at all. Yeah. And, and again, so we're, we're talking about all white people, right? Well, <laughs> we're talking about the oh, entire yeah. white church in America, right? Uh, I have exactly. for a fact known that churches are, are less segregated than a Black Lives Matter protest. Mm-hmm. Churches are less segregated than a Black Panther meeting protest or whatever. Churches are less segregated than anything Louis Farrakhan preaches at. Right. So I'm not sure how there's much truth in number four. Yeah, it's um, it. I, I don't even know if we should even spend any more time on yeah. that because it's so vague. Yeah, let's let's move on. Move on. Um, <laughs> point. Yeah, quickly. Point five. Put almost all the burden for rectifying racism on minorities by telling them we want you to come to our spaces. Our, you know, like our in terms of our, I guess, white spaces. Um, by asking them questions, you could easily. Find the answers to on your Google on your own Google it or by telling them to in myriad ways that they need to change the, to fit the dominant culture and leave their own culture at the door. Hmm. Yeah, this is a lot yeah, of, is a lot um, of um, what what I would call letting push putting the carcass on somebody else's shoulders and making them wear that yeah. carcass. Yeah. Um, this is. This is put, um, put almost the, all the burden for rectifying racism on minorities by telling them we want you to come to our spaces. First of all, I don't know anybody who puts it that way. And yeah. if that were the case, I mean, being that is the case, nobody actually says it this way and means it like, oh, this is your responsibility. Uh, I think this is a terrible caricature, a mischaracterization and a caricaturization of whoever he's talking about. Right, yeah. <laughs> this is also a catch-22. How many times, I don't even know how many, you know, how many times this thing has been shared. And so, again, the white guilt thing, if you're already, like, there, and you feel guilty about being white, and you think that you're who you are and where you are because your skin color because you're white, then this is going to just, you know, play into that. And so I think that that was, um, that, that's definitely a factor here with these points. You know, we're talking about white privilege and um, those sort of things. Um, let's go to, let's see, that was point number yeah. five. Well, it, was, um, it was number five. The, the issue of what he says, our spaces, um, listen, mm. do we not want people to be hospitable and invite others in? Are we not always telling people to be open and uh, not exclusionary, to be open to people to use, to share space with? 
So when, so quote unquote, white people invite people in, isn't that what we want them to do? Right. And now it's being used to beat them over the head. Yeah, it's it's used as it's actually used against them. Oh, you invited this person because now you want them to conform to your culture. So either way, wanting them to hear the gospel is a bad thing. You can't. It's a it's a no win situation. And it's highly unfair. And it says what it says about the person who's saying that is you're very, very fickle. Right. And being fickle is not a good quality to be have as a Christian. Right. And then the rest of yeah. number five is it's, really it's, just kind it's, of an it's, underhanded it's slap. It's very petty. Well, the thing I was thinking, you, you talk about different churches and stuff like that. There are different churches that have different ways of worship, and that's fine. God doesn't, there's no verse that tells us how to worship and how we, you know, what it should look like because we are different in terms of our background. Um, yeah. If, if I, as a white person, I'm not white, but if I, if a person with white skin rather than a white person, white person, white skin, if I go into A&E Zion Church, then I'm going to know what I'm walking into and it's going to be a different expression of worship. That's right. great. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. Why is that a negative? In term, it, as long as you learn about the Lord, you're growing in his word, you're, you're connecting with him, why is that a bad thing? This, uh, this comes from a heart that is still very restless. Um, I'm not right. saying that as a – I'm not accusing as in you're guilty of something. It is – I'm mm-hmm. just saying that a heart that is restless, that has found no peace, Right. When it comes to racial reconciliation, yeah, there's something in his heart. He's wrestling with it. He's, just, for this. he's not gotten for there, this. and he's and he's unfortunately portraying that to the rest of the Christian community as this is the truth. This is the gospel truth about these issues. You know, that was very vague. Number six is also very vague, and it it's is. just when a major racial incident happens at your church, job, or other institution, downplay its seriousness. Make no substantive changes and wait for the controversy to cool down so you can go back to business as usual. This one, I think, is more accusatory than anyway. It sounds very highly personal. If there was something personal that happened in his life of ministry or what, or, or job and career experiences that made him think that. Um, but why that is inflicted upon all white evangelical Christians is beyond me, though. Right. I mean, okay, so so let's go back to the fact that um, America is more segregated on a Sunday morning than any other day of the week, and churches are likely to be very highly segregated, self-segregated, you might say. There aren't very many mixed-race churches. Um, like okay. I said, there's more mixed-race churches than there are at a Lewis Farrakhan rally, but... Let's just say, you know, there is segregation on Sunday morning. I will, I will freely admit that. That's an obvious fact. But okay. so when the major racial incident happens, what kind of racial incident is he referring to? Yeah, what, what kind what of defines he, that? What is he talking about? And, and you know, are we talking about incidents that, that that the mainstream media chooses to show us um, because of their agenda, or what are we talking about here? Um, and what, is, what does he want people to do in response? Like, I mean, how, 
the what response is he looking for? I mean, go right. shut down the government. I mean, go. This go, is this is an accusation. This is an Absolutely. accusation that that actually it speaks more to where his heart is rather than what actually happens on yeah. the ground. Absolutely, it's not. It's it doesn't point people to Christ, but I just feel like he's got. I, I don't know him, but I just it, it's not pointing people to Christ and to his solution or to what Christ even. He deals how Christ deals with these sort of, you know, contentions and issues. It's just, it's really hard to discern, and I don't want to discern his heart, but it's just very very vague. So, um, number where are we at? Number seven. seven. Okay. Pursue diversity without pursuing equity by sharing power in your church, job, or organization. Then pat yourself on the back. When your student body, congregation, or employee base shows any diversity whatsoever, never mind that their presence makes no real difference. The minorities in your organization are forced to assimilate instead of bringing their whole selves and creating true diversity. I'll let you go ahead and start to out quite a few thoughts on that. Where do I start? This is, like the others, really vague. Uh, it's trying to hint at yeah. something. And let me try to divine. This is about power and influence. This is about power and influence. Right. And I hate to make it sound so crude because it's so worldly sounding, but that's what it is. I'm sorry for making it sound as crude it is, but he wants minorities to have power and influence. And now that in itself is not a bad thing. Uh, people have power and influence in their respective spheres wherever they go. But this is about trading power and influence in the church job organization for what he wants to call is a mere pat on the back. Now, how much bigger a pat on the back can somebody have when you share power and influence with somebody who has minority status? I mean, if we're proud to employ minority workers in a job or employ minority staff members at a church, then wouldn't it be a bigger pat on the back if we also gave them positions of power and influence? I guess so, not. <laughs> I mean, I mean yeah, so, so it makes no difference. If you can't win. You can't lose. You can't win kind of thing. Right. This is, this is so – this is so uh, – so fickle. Again, I'd like I, I want to point out the fact that it is a catch twenty two. Um, when people are employed in any sort of way, we want them to have jobs. And I'm just speaking in general. I mean, I think this is kind of leaning toward the church realm. But when people diversify their job, their their workplace, diversify their church, uh, there is, in this sense, this complaint in number seven that it's not good enough. It's not good enough until you give them the reins of power and influence. Well, okay, but who does this organization ultimately belong to? Um, it belongs to the person who started it. And how much power and influence do you think is appropriate and it still is what it is? You're kind of right. asking, this person is trying to ask for something that has no it has no um, 
no fulfillment. There is nothing that's mm-hmm. good enough. And you're right. Yeah, you pointed right. that out, and you're absolutely right about absolutely, that. Absolutely, yeah. You pat people when people earn something. Yeah, you pat them on the back. I mean, um, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah, it's just it's this. There's this. Um, he, it's almost as if he forget. Uh, you know, that we do. There's a such thing as minorities in the country. You know, we we do have minorities, and so because you have a le- a, a lesser number of certain individuals within that total population then it's not going to be necessarily a fair representation across the board because you're already starting with you know lesser figures and numbers and so um you know it's almost like a mathematical challenge here in terms of that you know i i just with i think especially in church when you talk about church culture i mean you you bring people in who god has ordained who god has put in those positions to lead his people for certain purposes. And so I don't understand why um, why, why that becomes an issue in terms of skin color. You know, right. God doesn't, and nobody, if, God, if God shows no partiality, no Jew, no Greek, no Gentile, then why are we placing weight on that in terms of what God is doing in other people's lives and the calling that he has on other people's lives? Exactly, exactly. Um, when it says the minorities are forced to assimilate instead of bringing their whole selves and creating diversity, I think that that actually that hits exactly what you're saying. Nobody mm-hmm. asks anyone to join their organization or to be part of their church nope. um, and not bring their whole selves. It's for yeah. they are that would be, being that would be asked to right? come the, and participate. Yeah. Because we want to see their whole self. Because Jesus wants your whole self. Um, And so this is kind of an accusation, again, that I don't think carries a lot of weight. Um, But let's get to the last three. Uh, Let's do that. We are. Uh, Okay, number eight, when another racist incident makes national headlines, make a big show of supporting people of color on social media, which is happening right now. Um, and then continue voting. Even the people that share this, this is, this is he's talking about them actually. Um, uh, and then continue voting for the same candidate with the same racially atavistic policy platform. Continue attending the same churches that endorse white supremacy through acts of commission or omission. Keep allowing family members, friends, and Acquaintances who hold racist ideas without confronting them keep thoughts on people of color when they level charges of racism and basically change absolutely nothing once the fear dies down. And I can just, just a couple things here for me, as as a black person in America, um, when he talks about silencing people of color, I feel like I've been silenced the most because of my conservatism from the black community and from the white Christian community as well, because I'm supposed to fit into a box of what I'm supposed to think and how I'm supposed to vote and how I'm supposed to react to certain situations. And if I don't do it that way, then I'm not actually black kind of thing. And so um, that's racism within itself, because you're already prejudging me based on my skin color, but that's okay, though. Um, But, yeah, I'll, I'll let you... Right, because it's okay, because some, certain people have the privilege of doing that, speaking of privilege. 
Um, <laughs> and it's entirely, that's entirely unjust. So right. this is, as an aside, this is why I believe very little that comes from the social justice warrior side of things, because I don't believe that they're mm-hmm. sincere. I don't believe they are sincere. I believe they act hypocritically, and they want exceptions for them to, in, in 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 society that they're not going to allow other people to have. They want special privileges for themselves. Right. Other people's privileges. I mean, to me, if you're going to want, if you're going to call for level ground and equal standing, then please start with yourself. <laughs> And that's why I yeah. can't. I don't really take them seriously. But when we're talking about, um, okay, who supporting racial diversity and being against racism means uh, yeah. who you vote for is, is that, yeah, defines that, that, your that, position. Yeah. I'm sorry. I mean, who who shakes down at the end of the uh, at the end of the ballot on election night? Uh, is who it's, shakes down. And it's not dependent on me. And it's not right. dependent on any one person in particular. Right. You know, you yeah. want to blame people. It's, I mean, I, did I blame people? I, did I blame individuals who voted for mm-hmm. Barack Obama in 2008 and 2012 for the fact that he no. was president? No. He, no. <laughs> he does yeah, yeah, he's. You know, the thing is, too, it, you know, he continually or he continually points out about this whole the dominant culture and this. You know, it's my family. I guess my family's just different. I don't know. Maybe we're just like crazy or something. But we enjoy different environments and we enjoy going to different churches and we enjoy seeing how different people worship. And it's not, it's not a, a either or or a anti this or anti that kind of. Kind of thing, right. you know, when you go to certain situations, you go in certain environments, you you sometimes you know what to expect. Um, so it's just interesting with those, you know, those very clear lines that he's drawing. That really, I don't think exists um, in the bigger scheme of things. Right, right. So when number eight yeah. says can, that people continue attending the same churches that endorse white supremacy through acts of commission or omission. Let me do my best to see um, what he's meaning by this. This is So I had a pastor who described uh, racism like this, not, okay. being, not being willing or aware of your own lack of black people in your life. <laughs> I can't, I can't explain it anymore. I mean, does it sound ridiculous? It is because it does. It's exactly that ridiculous. So having yeah, a lack a, of of diverse skin colors of people, friends and associates, and whoever you hang out with in your life is somehow, if you're a white person, somehow an endorsement of white supremacy or racism. And it's this very spongy, nebulous, engulfing definition of racism that I think is very dangerous because you can call anybody a racist. You can call anybody a racist by that definition. And therefore, if you want to equate the term racist with white supremacy, well, that's not a very big leap at all. 
And suddenly, mm-hmm. an entire church is endorsing white supremacy just for existing, just because someone accuses them of being so. And that, to me, is very unkind. And I'm being very nice. When okay, I say right. that. It's, it's very unchristian, is what it is. It, it, it is. It's unchristian. No, it's go ahead. Go ahead for the kill. Another brother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Who cares what you, what you white people, how you feel, because you deserve it, you know? Yeah, that's very Christian. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and and it's and you're right. It is not. This is not how Jesus dealt and confronted. Uh, and I, I don't see any scriptures listed in here anywhere. I mean, no. even though I mean he doesn't necessarily like give a specific passage, but it'd be nice to reference scripture at some point. <laughs> but we don't see that yeah. here um, at all. Number nine um, says, but, yeah. Oh, I mean, are you ready to move on? <laughs> yeah, let's go to number nine. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Let's bang it believe, with, believe we're post-racial. Now, I've heard this word. I haven't heard it defined very well, but okay. Believe we're post-racial. Pretend the civil rights movement solved all of our most serious racial problems. Secretly ask yourself, what more do these people want? And convince yourself that all these people must be exaggerating or overly sensitive. Wow. Uh, way to way to mm-hmm. way to label mm. all the people who think this way. <laughs> right. All those people. No, we're not those people. Let's not be those oh, people. Let's not let's not even pretend. celebrate the civil rights movement. You know, we can't even celebrate the civil rights movement at all. Because obviously it didn't do anything, you know. Really? <laughs> it yeah, Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln actually had. I mean, the same things were said about him. I mean, far be it from us to do oh, that, yeah. that now. But um, so I live, I live not far from uh, the Abraham Lincoln Historical Museum, mm-hmm. and if you go sit through there their audio presentation. It's got a little video. It's really neat because they have like um, simulated gunfire, like you're in the Civil War and all this stuff. And it's a little history about mm-hmm. um, how Abraham Lincoln came to write the Emancipation Proclamation. Okay. And the controversy surrounding him back then was if you read the Emancipation Proclamation, um, his critics said, well, it actually didn't free anybody at all, you know, because the Union was not yet put back together. He wasn't considered president of the North and the South, and this Emancipation Proclamation was some kind of executive order, but it had no verification from Congress, has not constitutionally, you know, done the right way somehow, Um, Mm. and so the complaint was, it's just a piece of paper. He didn't do anything at all. He didn't free the slaves. He didn't unite the country. He did squat. <laughs> and from yeah. yeah, and from that pers- if you want to take that perspective, I'm not going to argue with that because it is the same perspective that people have about people uh, about people that are trying to mm-hmm. ask the right questions about racial reconciliation and being accused. Mm-hmm. Well, you're not doing much good at all. Um, well, well yeah, okay. or, or even if well, well, Tisha, even if you say. 
this is even if you say that racism exists in all people, like or not excuse me, not all people, but dip, all different groups. If you say that there's black racists, there's white racists, there's Asian racists that are racist, I said rapist, sorry. But you know, it's getting late. <laughs> but you know, if we say that there's people who are racist of all different ethnic backgrounds, then you're just you're told that you're a problem or talking about racism while trying to solve the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I, I don't believe that we're post-racial. I don't think that anybody today believes that we're post-racial. I mean, just look at the right. news. We are definitely not post-racial. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, it's, so I don't think anyone undermines it. I just think that – but but the the issue, though, is that there are people who do insinuate racial division. There are there are mm-hmm. groups of, and organizations that are specifically – that they they exist for the purpose of uh, causing racial racial division when there is none warranted. So that is right, a actual right. real concern for people. So when you do hear about racism or a racial incident, you know you have to. Because I know personally situations where something was claimed to be race, a racist hate um, hate act, and it was a personal thing for personal gain. You know so. It, it's not right to say people, was it really racism, or was it something else that happened? Like how even just questioning the truth of something and just wanting to know the facts is now racist, I guess. Well, sure. I mean, we can we can find people that that make a living right. off of using racism as a means of income. You know, whose names right. rhyme with Al Larpton and the Southern <laughs> Poverty <laughs> Paw Center. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. You know, I don't know who are whoever they are. Um, and, right. And there is a best interest by many parties in keeping us from moving po- to the post-racial era of of our existence because there's money to be made. There's money to be made in uh, race dating, and this has been. Uh, around for ages, even Booker T. Washington right. pointed this out, and this was back when when blacks in America were poorer than anything. I mean, anything. We have not seen poverty in this country like the poverty of our past. Right. So it's very hard to relate to nowadays. But back then, when when blacks still had so few opportunities. There was already that that race baiting, um, guilt trotting element because mm-hmm. it made money. People were able to right. sell themselves and to make a name for themselves mm-hmm. as speakers about this. Uh, I mean, sound familiar? <laughs> but um, to somebody whose name rhymes with Al Larson. Um, so I don't. Right. This is nothing new, right? And so it's not like you saying it's not objectively. It's not a, a moral indictment on a person to actually question, you know, if there was a racial incident that occurred. Um, you know, there was a situation here recently, actually here in South Carolina, in rural South Carolina, where a young man came up missing and he was found murdered, um, and mm-hmm. uh, he was found dead, and um, he was found on the property of a person who had a Confederate flag in their yard because they had, a, I guess, a big plot of land. And um, 
before you know it, Al Sharpton had been contacting them, the family and, the, and their pastor, and was ready to, you know, send people from from New York down to South Carolina. And the, the family said no thanks. And I, and I applaud them for doing that because you want to understand facts before you jump to conclusions. But also you just you don't know the motives. Again, I think, you know, we talked about it before how sin is, is – is death. It, it's deadly. Sin leads to so many bad, bad, bad things that happen. But we don't know right. all the time the motives of the heart of the person who actually specifically committed this particular act. So that's the, that's the hard part when you're dealing with these issues. And it's not bad to question and to say, what really happened? You know, was it because did the cops shoot the person just because they were black? Did they shoot the person because, you know, they did this, because they did that? Like, you're trying to weigh everything into the context of the situation that we weren't there for. Um, so it, it's a good thing to be truth seekers and to, and to wait in um, those sort of things and in those incidences. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, so let's see here. We are on number – we're winding yeah. down here, huh? Almost getting there. We're on what, number nine now? Uh, uh, we're on number the, ten. Oh, no, ten. sorry. Oh, yeah, you're ten. Um, think that racism and white supremacy only negatively affect people of color and not the white people who learn to live with a lie about themselves and the world around them. Remember, white Touching. supremacy means everyone broken and bloody. Judging. Um, judging. It's judging. judging. Un- yeah, it's it's a violation of what scripture talks when the church talks about judging, this is not fit in to that at all. Mhm. Yeah. I'll I'll let you go in the kind of Well it's sound let's 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 even by our common doctrine of do not judge, let's you know, not not even the biblical doctrine of do right. not judge. This is saying that white people who learn to live with racism among them or around them live with a lie about themselves. And to me, that is highly accusatory. He's calling people liars to themselves that if they don't admit, and this is, this is, this is probably the most serious thing. It is saying that if white people don't, admit that they are closet racist in some way, shape, or form, mm-hmm. then they are lying to themselves. And they're lying to other people because they really are racist. Um, That's so evil. And That's so evil. <laughs> it's, it it's like me, I mean, how would you like, I mean, there's nothing to compare it to. How would you like every every person who kind of fits a certain bill to be accused mm-hmm. of being a child molester just because they're they right. maybe single, live alone, and spend a lot of time with their computer, <laughs> um, which right. is a very common thing. Um, and, and suddenly they're all child molesters. That would be a very right. terrible thing to accuse somebody of being. Um, and this is no different. By accusing right. people of being closet racist and, and I've heard this. This happens. Mm-hmm. This is a thing. Being closet yes. racist is very antithetical to the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Very antithetical to the kingdom of God. Jesus, and I can firmly say, Jesus would not 
sweep across mm. a whole ethnic group and label everybody yeah. racist. Right. Yeah. He, he. That was not the character of the Lord. He was not. Listen, when people did wrong stuff, he called it out, you know. And but exactly. he didn't just call people exactly. out because they looked a certain way or they did, you know, did a certain thing, or, or just because they they fit a certain mantra or bill. That that was that's not sin is in the heart of the of each individual. It's not based on your outwardly um, anything outward. It's it's based on your heart, whether you're black, white, Hispanic, who you know, whatever. God is concerned with the heart, you know, and scripture talks very um, directly about not bearing false witness against your neighbor. And you can't bear, you can't accuse someone of sin if you haven't actually, if you don't know the thing's actually sin, that's not, that's not okay at all. With right. It doesn't line up with scripture right. in any way. I, I would not I want a black that. person to be accused of something just because they were black. I, right. Neither would I want a white brother or sister to be accused of being racist just for being a no black person. or white person. And it is, yeah. yeah. Sin is very heavy and it's very real. It's, it's a broken um, it's a broken path between our, our relationship with the Lord. It's a very real thing. And we all are, are sinners and we all feel that conviction and we all feel that the reality of sin in our daily lives throw it out there as um, because of this and you're this, that's not what scripture is affirming at all. Um, and like you said, I don't even think the social justice movement um, in general, the secular social justice movement wouldn't even, um, you know, line up with or agree with that, that position. Um, maybe not, not on a whole. You know, I've seen a lot of Well, maybe you're people... right, yeah. Yeah. Well, where people, think, well, white no, people no, let me back up. They probably would. Yeah, they probably would actually. They look at a person from a, a from a secular perspective. The, the idea is that you look at a person and you judge them based on where they live, what they look like, how they dress, what they drive, and they're A, Y, and Z. Um, but oh, scripture and okay. and being a Christian tells you no. You get to know the part of the person. You get to know who they are as an individual, and it's not about what they drive, what neighborhood they live in. You know, I, you know, I am. I have. I'm. I'm poor as dirt. You know, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a missionary. You know, on a college campus, living off off support from people who love us and and care for us and and want us to to go forward with our ministry. But I have friends of all different socioeconomic paths and all different, um, you know, skin colors and and ethnic backgrounds. And I don't. And we're we can be close. We're very close. We can share things. We have the same struggles. Um, I wouldn't just assume based on A, Y, and Z external things um, that they are, or, you know, make these these accusations against that person. Right. I would miss out on a right. lot of valuable friendships and relationships that I have. Exactly. Exactly. I feel for I feel for Jinmar to be, you know, now that we've mm-hmm. gotten to number ten. I think yeah. it it just sounds like there is a hole in his life and there is a hole in his heart that he is I not know, allowing yeah. Christ to fill and he is mm-hmm. allowing pain uh, pain to fill. And and no. so okay. I let me make this I'm going to presume a few things about Americans in general. 
and black Americans mm-hmm. that on on a worldwide scale, nobody in this country has suffered um, the ills of the past and the ills that happened in the other countries. We don't have poverty the likes of which people other people live with in other countries. We don't have racism mm-hmm. to the degree that other countries experience. We don't have violence to the degree that other people in other countries experience. Life mm-hmm. on the whole for every American is pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. We are able to make friends with whomever we want. We are able mm-hmm. to choose who we want to marry. We are able to choose who we want to associate with. We have the freedom to disassociate with those mm-hmm. whom we do not agree. We have the most choices, uh, personal choices, available to anybody in the world. Right. I have a hard time complaining about my life, looking at all the things that I, I, can, I'm, I have access to. So mm-hmm. I have a hard time believing that anybody who is, writes a list like that has actually experienced the hardship and pain of severe racism. And I mean mm-hmm. where you are, where somebody is is physically harmed and it makes the news. Most of the people I see complaining about the type of racism that we have in this country have not experienced it to the degree, degree that they're complaining about. So we are all... Mm-hmm sitting around talking about an issue that has not affected us personally to the degree that we're led to believe. Yeah. I think we should use our position of comfort to aid those who are suffering rather than to bite each other on the back for the life that we have in common. So that as we sit around the table, the black pastors don't backbite the white pastors, and the white pastors don't react negatively back to the black pastors. This just creates racial discord. We are all sitting in the lap of luxury here. What do we have to complain about? If we're going to stand up against injustice for other people because it's happening to other people, not to us, then let's do that. And let's mm. not be accusing each other. Right. Yeah, we it's just I I'm I'm just I'm I've been really surprised by the response of the church, um, as opposed to being a unified agent to talk about sin and redemption and you know, it's you know, even the thing is I know people who you know, are racist, you know. I know people in my life who are racist. Sure. They're in, and they're not necessarily white, <laughs> okay? Uh-huh. But I love yeah. them. And, and I love them. I love them. And I don't think that they are outside of God's um, grasp that he can't save them, that racism is this unpardonable sin. But in our culture, for whatever reason, we've brought into, um, you know, the, the, the secular phenomenon that if you're racist and you're unredeemable, and you and it's the worst thing ever. Um, I, I've even heard read, read things where, oh, the church is focused on abortion and homosexuality or standing against abortion and homosexuality, but not racism enough. Well, it's it's kind mm-hmm. of embedded into the scriptures, right? 
it's kind of it's kind of a no brainer, you know that exactly. it's God doesn't care about the the outward or any He doesn't show that partiality. So, um, the, I don't understand, you know, that progression of where we are now. Exactly, I think it's it's to be nice, and I haven't. I've said things that are too nice already, I think. Mm-hmm. But there, there is a lot of appropriated pain. And it's about mm-hmm. time we laid that at the cross of Jesus Christ instead of at each other's feet. Stop right. worrying the pain of others. Stop trying to put that on someone else. Put it at right. your feet. If you feel strongly about this, and I'm not saying people shouldn't, go and surrender it to Christ. That's where right. it needs to go. Right, and you know, and I did the same thing. We talk about abortion a lot here on this on the radio. I did a whole. I did when I first was, you know, into the movement. It was like, if you're not doing X, Y, and Z, you're not going out there, and you're not staying at the clinic, then you're, you know, you're just making problems for us. You're not that. You're why abortion exists, you know. And, and in my zeal, that was my heart, you know, at the time because I cared about babies and, you know, and yeah. I wanted people to yeah. understand how serious abortion was. But you know, the, the way the the venom and the way that you present that. In the accusatory manner in which you present that is not how Christ is is calling us to um to, to bring others together for unified to stand a unified front, you know. And right. So, well, you know, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that people need to need to throw away their passion and throw right. away their feelings, but if you're not acting rationally and within the will of God in those passions and, and surrendering them in the right way, then you are yeah. acting. Well, well, out of your, you're your flesh. Me. You're not asking you what, what are you asking people to stand for? What are you asking people to do? And so that that's a big question here. So I know we're we're um, about to um uh kind of finish off here because the show's about and we've been yep. going we two hours but we could go another two hours, you know, knowing the two of us. But um we're just thankful I for the probably time. will another day. <laughs> we, yeah yeah let's we'll plan to, to continue the conversation and maybe even have some callers um, we'll let you all know on the, on the Facebook page for uh, True Life Fridays. We thank you for um, just listening to our hearts. Hope that you all know that we love everyone. <laughs> we want people to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and we want the church yep. to be the, re- the representative of Christ that he has called us to be. And so that's why we're doing this, I'm not out of condemnation, not out of, you know, uh, bickering or, you know, but we just we want the world to see a, a correct representation 